Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless to Talk, our TTRPG interview show where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, GM Nathan, and boy, what an episode we have for you this week. The Noir Enigma, aka Noir, has been a TTRPG creator I've known about and really enjoyed for some time now, and has always been someone who I looked to and said, wow, they're super cool and accomplished. I can't ever imagine crossing paths with them. <laughs> and, uh, well, here we are. Noir does a large amount of a large array of things in the TTRPG space. They play, they run, they produce, they stream, they interview, and really do some of what seems like most things. They are also a really great and nuanced voice in the TTRPG space, offering a lot of really lovely insights on all kinds of topics. But most importantly, I think, he does this all with incredible enthusiasm, empathy, and joy. In this interview, we talk about creating out of spite and pettiness, especially in reaction to a that guy, how to run your own race but make sure you leave the door open behind you, treating people like people, accountability, and really truly listening to your friends and players, among many other things. It's a really, really fun time and offered me a lot of wisdom and perspective that I think will be useful to you as well. As always, link to Noir's socials, projects, and other things discussed in the episode are in the show notes. And now, here's this week's Reckless to Talk. See you next week. Why, hello there. Hello. Ooh, I like that was a good that was a good energy to bring to the start. It's a little fun, a little flirty. Uh, welcome to Reckless to Talk. How are you today? I am good. I'm very excited to be here. I've been like what I've been peeping this show for a while and I'm like, oh, one day. One day. <laughs> That's a fucking wild statement uh, for you to say to me, for you personally to say to me personally, uh, that we may or may not unpack later. Uh, but for all of the people who are listening at home who are like, wait, who is this person? Why is Nathan so excited and entranced by them? Could you please tell, tell exp explain yourself somehow the fucking <laughs> what did words you do? that I chose. No. <laughs> Tell everyone who you are, your pronouns, where they know you're from, all the things. Hello, everybody. I'm Noir. Uh, I go by Heve. You can find me all over the internet as the Noir Diglin. That's Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. I do actual <laughs> I I do actual I do. plays. Uh I'm currently in Star Trek Perseverance over on Cryptic Studios. Uh we're a Star Trek actual play sponsored by Modifius Cryptic Studios who makes Star Trek online. That's been super duper cool. It's fucking wild. Awesome. <laughs> really cool <laughs> to watch to watch it and like holy shit this is awesome. <laughs> but it's it there's an outstanding cast. Uh, it's the Streampunk so we've got uh we've got Air We've got Eric, we got Sam to live, we've got uh we've got oh, oh my god, my brain like right when I try to call up names, my brain goes spaghetti. Luckily, <laughs> there will be links to everything we talk about in the show notes. So, uh, dear dear listener, please trust that that information is there. Go find it. I'll do credits. Yes. Brains are bad sometimes. It's a fantastic cast. My brain is just made out of spaghetti noodles. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Same. That's why I avoid doing any of it. And that's why I always ask my guests, hey, can you introduce yourself so I don't fuck it up? <laughs> See, I came in with full confidence and it was just like, oh yeah, we got this. And then like midway through the trip, my brain sputtered out like, you're on, you're on. <laughs> We'll get through it one way or the other. There's editing. And, you know, this is supposed to be a human conversation, you know, not a canned uh, promo ad commercial conversation. So yeah, I, I embrace I embrace the spaghetti noodles. That is my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love everybody that cast. Uh, we've got Caitlin. We got Daniel Radcliffe. We've just it, it's it's fantastic. And of course, it's geoed by the amazing Elisa Pearl. Uh, so yeah, check it out. So, uh, my brain came around and came yeah. back. <laughs> I was like, wait, did they look it up? No. Because uh, that would be cool as hell, but I didn't see the hands go on the keyboard or anything. It was just, <laughs> nope, snapped in. Hell yeah. <laughs> I just have to, you just have to kick it every now and then. <laughs> my brain works like the jukebox machine in Happy Days. Yeah, exactly. I just need I the say, fonts to come in and bang it. I shit you not, <laughs> this is the like fourth time I have either used or heard the reference of the fonts hitting the jukebox machine in Happy Days in the last like three days. And I feel like the universe needs me to acknowledge that before we carry on with the interview. <laughs> I'm just now realizing how dated a reference that is. Right? I'm like, so it is old. too old for us to use as a reference, yeah. let alone for anyone to understand the reference. I watched old reruns when I was a kid, so like... That's true. Like, Nick at Night, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there is still... there's There, there are others of us who understand... <laughs> The, the plights of happy days, the ups, the downs, etc. Uh, but, spoiler alert, we're not here to talk about happy days. Well, I mean, who oh, knows? Oh, we're not? Maybe... Well, it's been fun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is Reckless of Happy Days, your Happy Days uh, interview fan cast, where we talk to people about whether or not they remember happy days. Do you know where Jumping the Shark came from? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we are, in fact, here to talk about you... Noir, the creator, the t- tabletop role-playing game individual, all the good things. Uh, so we'll start with kind of where uh, where you started and where we often start these interviews. Uh, how did you start kind of getting involved in tabletop role-playing games? Like, where do you remember a time where you were kind of like introduced to the concept, where you started playing oh, your, yeah. your origin story? So <laughs> the origin story for how I got into TTRPGs is that uh, there were a group of nerds in my high school we called ourselves the Circle Drive crew because there was uh, a portion of the school called Circle Drive. Mm-hmm. It was right near the roundabout where like parents came to pick up their kids. And we would just hang there after school. Oh, love that. We would mainly just play Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, but one day I noticed there was a large group of people that were usually always in Circle Drive. And they would like hang out for 10, 15 minutes and then leave. And this happened enough times where I was going, where are they going? <laughs> so I got all up in the business like, hey, where are y'all going? <laughs> and they were like, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, I would like to try that. <laughs> and was that the first like cultural awareness you had of Dungeons and Dragons and like tabletop role playing games? I had heard of yeah. Dungeons and Dragons and I'd seen the movie. Oh. <laughs> that was the extent mm. of my knowledge. Mm, so limited. I knew what it was in like theory. Actually, what I thought it was in theory was absolutely wrong. <laughs> I thought it was more like a game of risk. Mm, yeah, got it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went over there and it looked like your stereotypical basement that's filled with way too much stuff. <laughs> but there's an old abandoned couch oh, down there. Oh, yeah. 
at an old abandoned like dining room table and there was a map on it with figures and I'm like, all right, I'm I I'm already digging the aesthetic. Let's let's see what this is. I built my very first character. I built a rogue. Uh, she used a war fan as a weapon, and her name was Zealot because I had basically made her a copy of Zealot from Wild Stewart's comic book. If you were to remove every single uh, episode <laughs> of this show where the guests talked about how they just made the character that they liked for their first uh, first D&D character, we'd have like three episodes. So like, <laughs> safe space. You're you're good. I mean, she was exactly like Zealot. We played, I had a really good time, so I started coming over uh, more often. And then I got invited to like the real game. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The real game was over like my buddy's brother's house. He had his own house. It was filled with like old fantasy art all over the <sighs> walls and he had swords everywhere. And it was like super, super cool. Like this was, <laughs> this was a dude that was about it. And I was like, okay, I can't <laughs> wait to play. And he hands me a book and it's not the book that I'm used to. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is this? He's like, this is D&D Advanced. And I'm like, I'm still in remedial d <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for it. I haven't finished my 101 coursework. I don't know if I'm ready for whatever graduate level stuff is going on here. So that's how I learned about Thacko and all that nonsense. I hated it the entire time. And he was an old school player, like a really old school player. There were some toxic things at that table. Yep. Uh, at that game, I was playing a wizard named Xander, uh, who was like a cleric of time or something. Oh, and sick. it was a character uh, that wanted to solve problems, not always with fighting. <laughs> right. I didn't know that at the time there were p- players that were just like kicking the door down and attacking things. Right. Uh, the, most players, probably. Yeah. I mean, at the time, at, the, at our first table, we had a, what I would discover was a much better GM <laughs> who like allowed for alternative solutions. But this guy, the more you tried to do alternative solutions, the more upset he got. <laughs> so he picked up my character a bunch. Um, mm. He tricked my character into wearing a belt of gender swapping. Hilarious. <laughs> got him. Yeah. And then hung my character to death. So neat. <laughs> I did not love this experience. Uh, yeah. At first, I was like, I'm never going to play this game again. But then the, but then the petty agent that would define my life. Hell, fuck yeah. <laughs> woke up for the first time and I was like, nah, I'm going I'm to run this game better out of spite. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take this D&D thing as far as it can go every day to to spite this person. <laughs> and so I've been running the same campaign setting legit since that decision wow so we've been playing in the world of gloria and my personal games going on 20 years now wow so yeah it's been it's been wild but that's how i started spite and how old were you in this like in this section of your of your life 14 oh wow got it i have to ask just because i always love i always love hearing stories of people who have been in like one setting and been creating and like running in one place for for that long how has the the experience been of you now essentially reacting to and building upon world building decisions of like a 14 year old <laughs> or do you are you like man 14 year old me fucking nailed it or is it like oh 
yeah, this one doesn't make sense, but we'll go with it. So it's a little bit more complicated because I'm not just dealing with the uh, consequences of one 14-year-old. <laughs> I'm dealing with the consequences of a few 14-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. What's great about that is because I've been playing this game so long, there are different ages. So we are now on the fifth age. Oh, sure. So the things that happened in the first age are kind of lost to time and they're also mythic. Got it. Yeah. So a lot of the more preposterous things we did (laughs) are kind of myths at this point. I love that. Yeah. The whole ages thing happened when I moved from 3.5 to 5th edition. I had to explain why magic is different. And so there was a major cataclysm that happened uh, during the third age. The fourth age was a silent age where like <laughs> nobody knows what happened. And then <laughs> the fifth age happened. When my players now try to figure out what happened, it's one, the system changed. And two, a lot of the things that my players had done before led to a major changing in magic, which caused the silent age and, and the reawakening of magic as they know it now. So are you the only one who, like, has the level of detail and knowledge of, like, this whole, like, centuries of history? Is there, like, are there people who have been in enough games to, like, kind of get the the narrative? Or are you now just, like, holding the shared fiction of however many players over, you know, 20 years or whatever in your heart and, and mind? So it was the latter. As you grow up, you 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 start to like move away from people. Yeah. Uh, in in college, I had a really bad breakup, and most of my friends, uh, I lost them in the divorce, as it were. <laughs> so so most of the people that know everything, like I don't really talk to that much. One of them happened to come back though. Oh, cool. And they're now getting into doing what we do. His name is Omnis X. He's a good friend of mine, and it's funny he watched a show. Uh, I, I had a show called King uh, Kingsguard, which took place in the same world. Oh, cool. He played a character named Dimaglodox. He was like a paladin who became the kingdom's like King Arthur. Yeah. He had a Holy Avenger, which one of my players now has. Wow. Oh, cool. And my player at that point was going through like a little bit of an emotional thing. Like, I'm not sure I'm worthy to take on this mission and so there was a moment where she was in the sword speaking to all of the previous wielders to kind of like hey get your shit together (laughs) and one of them was dimaglodox and seeing chris's reaction in twitch he's like that's me (laughs) (laughs) holy fuck i couldn't imagine i would i would lose my fucking mind it was just a really sweet moment so like he knows and also uh my friend uh latia chakis was also one of the people that played oh really in those earlier worlds yeah because i remember you guys had had known each other i think in like at i think high school had gone to high school together if i remember Mm -hmm. right uh but that's cool that it was that or that original to your shared D &D nerdery i still have some people around that know the lures and, and know everything and it's 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 been a real treat i'm thinking of either bringing on kingsguard or kind of advancing a little bit so the stuff that they did will now be part of the lore, oh, and cool. it continues. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is what a wonderful experience. Few enough people get to finish campaigns right themselves, and let alone multiple times for multiple people over multiple years, doing it live, doing it in front of an audience, doing it just for the table, bringing it back <laughs> and forth. Like what a what a wild and unique experience that is. <laughs> like here's how nerdy we were. We. Uh, would go online to the uh, Magic 
the gathering card generators yeah. and make cards specifically based yeah. on the lore of the game that we were running. That's sick as hell. I still have these cards in the Dropbox <laughs> and I can refer to them because like all all my NPCs I have as magic cards so I never forget them. That's amazing. There are a lot of things in 3.5 that aren't brought over to 5th edition because they just can't be. Right. Like prestige classes. And some of those prestige classes held importance to the world. Like there's one uh, called the Viridian Maidens, which are just like druid assassins and they in my world were like (laughs) a big they're like the epa with teeth like how could you not make that a big deal because it's fucking (laughs) cool as hell right so like if you if you're somebody that is really screwing with nature you're (laughs) gonna get visited you're gonna get one warning like i i loved how they do this they would send a bird and the bird would talk to you and just basically tell you to stop it if you got visited (laughs) by a bird and you didn't listen then you get the main. Yeah. <laughs> and so that played a huge part of my world. And I started introducing it in fifth edition uh in Kingsguard. One of my players was inadvertently taking the initiation into becoming a Viridian Maiden, which is <laughs> like hardcore stuff. <laughs> so I was talking to my ex who was the Viridian Maiden. They were like, well, here's all the things in the backstory of the lore that I was thinking of that we never got to. So I'm now being able to bring in that aspect of it uh, for a new player. So I I love the fact that I, do, I, I tell people, like, it's a lot easier to world build if you let your players do it. And you just yes. remember. It. <laughs> <laughs> or not even remember it. Just remember a little bit of it and then be like, hey, what's the rest of it? You player who made this up? Cool. Great. You, you go ahead. Even if you can't stick with the game, stick with the world because it's less work. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. I... Love that deeply. You are still playing in that world, obviously. Mm-hmm. So how long and and what kind of things were you playing as you were a um uh, God, what's a what's a not dumb way to say an amateur player, <laughs> you know, a hobbyist, he says meaningfully without judging people who don't make <laughs> fucking content all the time. So I was strictly playing D D. Yeah. I don't think that I really tried another system until I started doing content, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm regrettable about because there's so much that I'm learning now. Like, I, I'm falling out of love with 5th edition and falling in love with uh, Pathfinder just because when you make a level one character in Pathfinder, it's a lot more involved than if you make a character in D&D, like, it's not just you're an Acemar, but like, are you a dwarfish Acemar? Are you an yeah. elvish Acemar? Like, what are you? And I wish I got exposed to it a little sooner, but when Pathfinder first came out, I was one of the main ones dogging it. <laughs> I'm be I'm be honest, a lot of my history is dogging things that I would end up coming to love and embrace. Like when Critical Role first started, Latina <laughs> told me about it. And I'm like, I'm not gonna sit around and watch people play. Dungeons and Dragons who would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and now here we are. Turns out many people would. <laughs> many, many people. It was a pr- pretty big freaking deal. <laughs> How long were you playing? It sounds like you were playing in college. Were you pretty much playing nonstop, like from that kicking off point, basically? Yeah, we uh, we would play everywhere. We would play in our buddy's basement. We would play in the car. We would mainly play at <laughs> Denny's, to be quite honest. Um, <laughs> oh my God, what a beautiful image. Like, I'm un- <laughs> like unsarcastic. Sarcastically, that is like really lovely. <laughs> I can't recommend playing at Diddy's enough. Just <laughs> unlimited coffee, 
when you say weird things like <laughs> I'm going to jump on the catapult and turn into a tree in midair. <laughs> like, you just get people looking at you and you just look at them like, yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> you got to experience it. It's a right. huge Welcome. moment. <laughs> I, dinner and a show. Look, look, right. behold. Honestly, that did happen, though, where we would play and people would end up getting invested. <laughs> like, I remember it so clean. My buddies were in a dungeon that I'd set up for them. And, you know, we were just getting to, like, the climactic part. The rogue had to disengage a trap. If they succeeded, they get in and they get, like, a sneak attack on the bad guy because he's not expecting them. Yep. However, if he fails, the bad guy's going to be alerted and there's going to be a room full of people ready to attack. Mm -hmm. And so he rolls and rolls a 20. My buddy goes, yes, 20. The table behind us goes, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) They've been listening long enough to figure out 20 means an auto success. It was just, it was just a wild moment of, oh, okay. Well, I guess people can invest it into the. God, now I'm just imagining someone who just always goes to Denny's on Thursday nights at seven o'clock so that they can just be, make sure that they're there for what happens next. You were, you were proto Twitch streaming and you didn't even know it live at Denny's. We went live at Denny's. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't be a bad stream actually just going live at Denny's. We joked about it all pre-show of just, we accidentally came up with like four different show ideas and there's another one. Live, TTRPGs live at Denny's. There it is. I don't know. Denny's uh, hit us up. Give me a sponsorship. <laughs> so at what point you've been doing like content creation stuff for a while now Mm -hmm. what point did that kind of like click in your head not just as like an option like you know kind of like learning oh wait people can just do this (laughs) and also what point did it come i want to do this and do it in in ttrpgs and dnd and all that stuff like how did how did the transition to public content creator (laughs) uh happen for you I had just gotten a corporate job. I was a procurement operations consultant. So Mm -hmm. basically, I would just go to companies and go, uh, show me your procurement software. Oh, man, that sucks. You should use (laughs) ours. So let me install it for you and maintain it. It was the highest paying job I'd ever had. Uh, It was my first corporate gig. Yep. So I left Apple, where I was working uh, as a genius. And I moved closer to the job. Um, the place I moved to, I would later discover, was a cracked in. But it was affordable, cheap, and <laughs> I rented one room in a house full of people who also lived in the house. Uh, but they love crack. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have, like, a TV or anything. I just had an iPad. Uh, so I was extraordinarily bored. <laughs> I would go to uh, D&D Beyond's website and like I found out you could just join games there. So I was like, sweet, I'm gonna do that. And so I played with this group and they were just like, we're gonna Twitch stream our show. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but sure, I don't give a crap. I just <laughs> I just wanna wow. play. I just wanna play this character. Wild. I played, they recorded a podcast, they recorded it on Twitch. We got no viewers, nobody, nobody remembers this show. It's called Sons of the Wandering Blade. The podcast oh, is still Good up. For sure. <laughs> but it's like the first time that I played online. Wild. I didn't care about the Twitch part. I didn't care about the podcast part. I was just like, I need something to do in this house. <laughs> I started talking to more people online. I ended up 
joining a game with uh, Black Feather Guild run by Raven. From there, I met somebody else who was running another show, and they were like, oh, you're, you know, I want to bring you on. Yeah. And from there, I just kind of just said, okay, until I ended up <laughs> realizing, oh, crap, I guess I'm making content now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still had the full-time job at the time. So this kept going for, like, maybe a year. Within that year, I'm like, I was like, all right, I'm going to start making some of my own content. Uh, the first thing I made was a show called Dr. RPG, which is like, yeah. uh, you know, those um, Dear Susan, like, yeah. you know, people send in a question to Susan on a newspaper and she gives an answer. Well, it was basically that, but it was like an omnipotent time traveling adventure yeah. <laughs> answering questions from other adventures. Oh. Wonderful. That was on, uh, at the time, it was Encounter Roleplay. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I was like, oh, wow, I made a show. People watched it. It's fun. I got to bring some of my friends on. This is really cool. I'm going to make more things. I started doing that, and I started getting offered, you know, like, hey, we'll pay you to play this. And I'm like, that's not a thing. It was. (laughs) I started taking on more of those, and I'm starting to make some money doing this thing I love. And at the same time, my job is killing me. Yeah. It's the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And it just got to the point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And that was around 2020. And then the panini hit. Mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, I've got some money in my savings. I'm going to try this out. So I quit my job and I decided to do content creation full time. And how many years was the lead up? About one year. Oh, just one. I thought it was even before that. Wow. Awesome. So before that, I was working at Apple part-time, but I was like a full-time comedian and musician. So I Mm -hmm. would leave Apple, go to a gig, play it, leave that gig, then go to a comedy club, (laughs) do my five, and then go to a bar gig and play the rest of the night for like 300 bucks to play for like five hours. Yeah. So it was just like, all right, go to one gig, get 75 bucks, do my comedy, get 50 bucks, go uh, go to the bar, 300 bucks get two hours of sleep, go back to my corporate job. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> On some level, I've always kind of been making content, but once I hit the geek uh, the, the geek content, that's when like I found my home. I was at my corporate gig for no more than about a year and a half when I decided to just quit and do content full-time. After I made that decision, I survived. <laughs> I wouldn't say I lived. I survived because living off of content creation is not easy. It's, yes. it's 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 very very hard. But in that time, I had made enough of a presence to be able to apply for you know jobs with some of these companies, and so I have a day job. Mm-hmm. Then once that happened, the job plus the content creation things got a little better, and that's where we're at right now. Good. I would not recommend just leaving your job to do content <laughs> creation unless you have a nest egg. Luckily, I did. Looking back on it now, it was not much of one. Like, yeah. looking back on it now, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's a dumb decision I made. <laughs> but but I, I was able to make it. Uh, I have an amazing community. The space has been kind to me. But yeah, that's the story of how I got into it. I, I got real sick of living in a crack house. And so I was just like, I'm out of this. I'm out of here. So something that is interesting, I think, is a lot of people that I have talked to and a lot of people that I know, not exclusively, but especially who do actual play 
performance stuff mm-hmm. are often like a part of a show, right? Where there's right. like, oh yeah, I am here part of this network or I, I came up as part of this like individual group of people. And sure, I go off and do my own thing on occasion, uh, but I'm still this person from this show, basically. Right. And uh, there's a lot of people, obviously, including yourself, who are like, yes, I am a I am a tabletop role-playing game performer, uh, you know, kind of like a, a hired gun. And, <laughs> you know, you you so you play tons of systems, you play with tons of people, you play on tons of channels, and all of it is as you. You are the brand, you are the content <laughs> creation uh, point. So, I guess kind of first of all, it sounds like it was just kind of a gradual thing, right? That just kind of built up mm-hmm. uh, and then suddenly, ooh, I am a content creator now. Yeah. What's your relationship, I guess, being the brand and being like the person uh, kind <laughs> of in the tabletop role playing game space, you know? I'm excited to do things. And yeah. so like when folks are like, hey, you want to do a thing? I'm, I go full go retriever mode. Where it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so like I never realized that I was building myself as a brand. I was just like, well, if they if they mm-hmm. let me in the party, I'm a party. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time where I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was like, man, how how do I get to be one of the people that are on those, you know, totally. like staple shows that you know you you know it one of the most important lessons i learned was run your own race Mm -hmm. so instead of like oh man i tried out for this show or you know i tried to reach out guests on this show and i haven't heard anything back instead of like letting that get me down which it used to not gonna lie uh, i was I just turned on the petty drive, which was just like, I got told no by one person. So I need to get told yes by five. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there was a time there where I ha- mm-hmm. I was on eight shows a week <laughs> because I was, I was leading by the petty drive. And I mean, and that did well for like more people being aware of my sure. existence, but it was doing terrible things to my brain because i'm like it's a lot i'm only myself maybe 16 hours a week yeah and it's all starting to blend together (laughs) like i'm going to chipotle ordering like a shatterkai death monk like that's a problem (laughs) put the extra steak on the chipotle no so (laughs) testing out character voices going through drive-thrus and stuff like is this still can you still understand my enunciation over an audio medium from this you know does that does that why would I tell you I've done that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I'm going all day talking to character. Why not? It's weird. But, That's a weird, weird, weird industry. <laughs> but no, I kind of learned to embrace being in a brand. And I've, I've kind of made the deliberate decision to try and avoid being linked to any one yeah. organization, any one channel, anyone, anything. Um, you know, when I was in this space, there are a lot of presents that are no longer there. Absolutely. For a plethora of reasons. But yep. like I've I've been attached to programs or shows that never came to fruition because somebody did something. And so like I never want to hitch my horse to anyone, totally. anyone channel or anyone anything because I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's a lot to be responsible for. Like you can you be be responsible for yourself. <laughs> right. Like I you know, I I don't want to be in anybody's twit longer. That's my goal. Like <laughs> as long as people can go. I talked to Noah, he seemed like a pretty cool dude. That's part of the victory. Um, yeah. <laughs> no one wants to be the main character. Right. Of the day. Absolutely. And some main characters are main characters because of the dumbest reasons. <laughs> I was 
way too close to one thing that fell apart. And I'm just like, if that's just the heat from being near it, yeah. I don't want to be in the room. Yeah. So I make sure that when I work with somebody, I try to be considerate, polite. I try to make sure that, you know, essentially you follow the golden rule. Nobody wants to play with a dick. Like nobody wants yeah. to be at a table that's just like, Ugh. <laughs> easy to work with being easy to work right? with is that's one of the best things you can be i can't tell you how many brilliant folks i've seen ruin their own quote-unquote brand by just not chilling like i can't tell you the value of just like be cool mm-hmm. like, yeah you know absolutely so, yeah so how have you, you know, going going from the the eight show a week era to kind of like now um, or just, you know, knowing that life mm-hmm. is a progression and then everything's changing and we're all learning, et cetera, et cetera. How have you found kind of your balance in putting stuff out, in putting yourself out there, in streaming, in having regular shows, in making new stuff, like all of the weird bits and bobbles that go into content creation, into being in tabletop tabletop role-playing games and being kind of like a a pseudo freelancer in tabletop role-playing games while also making sure that your soul doesn't dry out (laughs) on the inside and that your brain doesn't uh the 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 loosely held spaghetti (laughs) doesn't slip through your your hands man it's the number one bit of advice i have learned Mm -hmm. don't do a project unless you can give it the love it deserves yeah your performance, your output, will you give a crap? Will you give 100% of a crap? <laughs> it's always going to be better than when you're just doing it as an obligation. Yep. If you find yourself, you know, turning on the Zoom and just going, like, don't be there. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I do believe that the people around you and the audience can tell when you want to be there, when you're enthused about it, and when it's just a thing you're doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want my product, I guess, yeah. to be like, bland like I, you know mm-hmm. I, I i want people to tell like if i'm if i'm here in front of the camera or the microphone i want to be there and i give a whole crap yep so. yeah, absolutely <laughs> i want to take it like a small step back and kind of what you talked mm-hmm. about it's because um especially i feel like when i was kind of like made aware of you as as a <laughs> as a human being as a as a content <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I saw you do a bunch of stuff. I knew I knew you do music, you do stand up or did stand up, mm-hmm. you write, you perform, you you run games, you do all kinds of stuff. And you mentioned it, obviously, is that was a core part of the hustle and the self-expression <laughs> for a long time. So for you. First of all, are you someone who kind of like goes between a bunch of different things and just like, ah, I just need to be creative? Or are there things that you, you know, like you need to be doing all of these different like buckets of creativity? You need to be doing improv and you need to be doing tabletop and you need to be doing music. Or is it kind of some combination therein? There's always been that need to invoke emotion, which is yeah. like, you know, I, totally. I nothing feels better to me than making people laugh. Nothing feels better to me than like having that dramatic moment where, you know, people are like, what happens next? Yeah. Music and comedy filled that hole for a very long time until I started doing tabletop and that kind of cured that itch. And mm-hmm. now music is just a grounding thing for me where it's just like, I make it for me, not for the any longer i still do it 
but I love TTRPGs as a format for improv more than I love just doing pure improv. You're not the only person who said that on the show. I mean, there's an aspect of it that is like, it's the dice. Like, it's really the dice changes everything. The dice is its own player. There have been a lot of moments that could not have occurred without mm-hmm. the dice going, this is where the story is going now. I did improv for a while. Um, I went to Second City, Westside, yeah. Improv, IO, and all that stuff. I've got numerous certificates on doing, like, Herald improv, yeah. which is just long-form improv. And it's fun, but it's a lot easier for someone to tarnish a moment by mm. just kind of not reading the signs uh, of what's happening. And tabletop does not allow for that because we're all in the same moment there's the referee of the Mm -hmm. gm who's establishing everything and then there's the ultimate judge of the dice Mm -hmm. so i i love that the dice and some of the gms i've played with have just told such outstanding stories so that that fills my soul but it only fills my soul if i'm giving myself enough time to like really take it in and think about it. That's yeah. why like eight games was a detriment because it's just <laughs> like, all right, what do you, what do you feel about this moment? I'm asking the wrong character in my head. <laughs> it's just yeah. Like, eight is a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's just eight different games. Lord knows how many different systems. So it's just like, yeah. ah, so <laughs> <laughs> I did this to me. Oh, uh, so no, I, I, I love tabletop, and that fills that fills a lot of the things that I was doing. It's kind of like I found everything that I was looking for, the other things that I was doing to survive. Yeah, I can now do for me as yeah. well. So yeah, I went back recently to the Lincoln Lodge. It just did a stand up set just to do it, just to see Lovely. if I still had yeah. the muscles. Um, it, it went okay. but you did do it you accomplished the act of doing it yeah because it's just like you know i was doing it because i was just like wait i tell five minutes of (laughs) jokes and you give me fifty dollars i will take that yeah but but now it's like oh okay i'm doing this because yeah now i now i get to really take in the laugh and take take in the moment and it's not like all right after these five minutes, can I make it to the bar in time to, yeah. to, to, to do that gig? So all that to say, actual plays really do fill that void that I was constantly filling with everything else. Yeah, totally. And something that, that really kind of strikes me is you have both been heavily busy as a tabletop role-playing game player and creator with an audience, like, you know, live, podcast, whatever, otherwise, but also you've been playing in your same world for 20 years and you, (laughs) you know, still do home games and that kind of thing. Obviously, also a lot of the stuff, even if it was just to please God, five minutes for $50, sounds great. (laughs) Survival mode kind of thing is an audience, right? And having Mm -hmm. that kind of like human reaction to the choices you're making. So first of all, does it feel different to do it for an audience? Um, and and either tabletop, but also all these other things where you've started moving to doing music for yourself, or you started to do these other acts of creation just just to do them or to to do it for your little table or whatever. Like, where's that distinction or is there one for you? So I got the chance to play uh, TTRPG live for the first time at Gen Con. And holy smokes, I loved it. Like, yeah. it, there's really something about making a bad decision in front of <laughs> 60 people that are all going, you're making a oh, bad no. decision. I was just like, oh, yeah, I need that. So that <laughs> was a very unique 
kind of energy, mm-hmm. that energy is now like the gold standard for me. Like <laughs> the energy from stand up is a lot different because <laughs> it's it's more of like, okay, I'm gonna present my material and if it doesn't go over well, mm-hmm. you know, you've gotta you've gotta call an audible. And that's where like the improv comes in. So it's it's almost like a competitive game with the audience when you're doing stand-up, like mm-hmm. I'm going to make you laugh. And there's always that one person for <laughs> God knows why, whatever reason. I don't understand why this person exists, but they do. They come to a comedy show determined not to laugh. Yeah. And like, that's the person <laughs> I always lock in on. And it's just like, it's you and me, buddy. We're, we're doing this. I'm going to get a chuggle out of you. It's, it's a much different energy. Yeah. It's almost like aggressive. Where, like, (laughs) here you're doing an AP, it's really receptive because it's like, I'm making this decision because I'm thinking in character, and how you react to it is how you react to the character, not me. So I'm not taking it personal if you boo. I'm not taking it personal if you, but if you you boo while I'm, like, telling my yuck yucks. (laughs) You're booing, you're booing very clearly me. You're booing me and my experiences. So, like, that's not great. And with music, (laughs) nobody really pays attention. But I like the AP live energy much more. But music is a close second because that's somebody who is choosing only focus on what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're saying it. And, like, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. With stand-up, it's a victory if I make you laugh because you came here one to stone face us. I don't know why. <laughs> but I told I told that one joke about Pokemon cards and you started yucking it up. You got you. Another tally in the wind column for me tonight. <laughs> you can't really bomb doing an actual play. It's really only stand-up where it's just like, if you suck, we will let you know. Yeah. And right. you will remember it. Yeah. Those are the different energies there. I still remember the first time I bombed because if you do stand-up, you will bomb. And I was telling <laughs> All of my jokes, and this lady was just mean mugging me while eating nachos. And until <laughs> until the day I die, I will remember yeah. the most loud and deliberate crunch after my punchline. <laughs> oh, no. Like she almost made a point to crunch loudly so I could hear it. Because I wasn't hearing laughter. How quiet everything else was. Yeah, I will never forget her. (laughs) So are you someone who likes running or playing in tabletop more? Or is there there a difference? I, (laughs) it depends on when you ask. And what I mean by that is like, if you're asking me while I'm doing the setup for running a (laughs) game and everything, and like we haven't run the game yet, yeah. I will say being a player because it is much easier. And I <laughs> I like being a player because, you know, I get to be responsible for one character yep. and that's it. And because I'm only responsible for one character, there's so much of the character that I'm responsible for. Like how, you know, what do they like to eat? Yeah. How do they communicate with people? You know, how do they learn to communicate with mm-hmm. people? Because you never want your character to end where they started. When I'm a GM, if you ask me after a session, like I I hadn't GM'd for a while, uh, and I just GM'd a game yesterday. Um, Streampunks have a Discord exclusive game for their uh for oh, their cool. co- for their coffee mm-hmm. uh patrons. I don't know what right. coffee lowercase p patrons, whatever. Yeah, whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so uh, I ran I ran a Star Trek adventure with Sam DeLev and Anita uh, Critical Misses. Oh, yeah. It went well. <laughs> the audience enjoyed it. The players enjoyed it. Right now, I'm still in the afterglow of that. So I'm going to say, like, GMing, obviously. <laughs> I mean, don't do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's all I want to do. But, like, <laughs> I also have a few other games coming up. I've got a My Chemical Romance a themed one-shot Pathfinder game that we're doing called The Beaten and the Damned. I'm writing that. And so, like, after the afterglow is over, it's going to be, like, back into readying mode, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to disappoint everyone. Everybody, nobody's going to have fun at the table. Post-session clarity is a real real bummer. (laughs) Right? For sure. But, no, I, I do love GMing because one of my favorite things is finding the person that doesn't fully believe in their own imagination yeah. and kind of giving them an example of like, you made totally. this, you did this, you're awesome. Speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I used to do GMing for Magpie. Mm-hmm. This was happening at the time where they were doing beta testing for Avatar Legends. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was like buying up tickets. And uh, I had this one party where it was made up of like a couple of veteran players. And this one sweet little old lady who her kids bought her tickets to this uh, because she loved Avatar. Oh my God. But she'd never played a TTRPG before. And so like the game is going and yeah. it, it, we're in the first half and like she's not doing really much of anything. So I'm like, okay, we take our break and I, I kind of pull her aside. I'm like, you know, are you having a good time? Is there anything that you need me to adjust? You know, just like, I just don't know what I'm allowed to do. And I'm just like, well, what do you mean? It's like, you know, I, I, well, I wanted to do this and this and this and this, but I wasn't sure like I was allowed. And I'm like, totally. oh, you're allowed to do whatever you want. Uh, and, yes. You know, like I, I encourage you to do that. And I can't do much for this, this and this, but we can retroactively say that your character did this and we'll come back to the consequences of that. She's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So we do that. And she had a really good idea. And so we kind of played it like her character went off and did this really cool idea. And it changed the story beat. And everybody was like, oh, that's such a good idea. And the other players started hyping her up. She started doing more and more and more (sighs) stuff. And like, I'm seeing this this sweet little lady, like kind of becoming this badass waterbender. And I'm like, yes, keep it going. (laughs) She ended up getting the last shot on the bad guy. I mean, if even if it wasn't by the rules that she was going to get the last shot, that person for sure. I was going to make sure she got the last shot. (laughs) I'm like, did I cheat? Maybe. Do I regret it? Never. <laughs> did you did you cheat the drama of the moment? Fuck no. Absolutely not. <laughs> so after that, we do our stars and wishes because safety tools, people, please use them. And she said something that was the sweetest thing I'd ever heard and also the most heartbreaking, which is like, I don't really have an outlet for my imagination. And yeah. this was wonderful. And I was just like, this is what it's about. Yep. You come to Tabletop. To be anybody, no matter who you are. Yeah. That's the magic of GMing. So all that to say, even despite my <laughs> my reluctance when I think of prep, GMing is what I prefer. Yeah. Cause it, it really just it really struck me as as hitting a lot of the bits of of the things you said you enjoyed about all the other, you know, kind of like outlets. Yeah. And especially when you have an audience, whether they are a literal audience or just a group of people around the table, of finding one person to be like, I am paying attention to you and you <laughs> will have a nice time and we will, I will 
Work my ass off to make sure you have a nice time. <laughs> you listen here, lady. You don't get to leave here or That's right. you're gonna be you're gonna be a superhero. So like at the end of it, the difference is when you're a player, you can make yourself and maybe one other person badass by like just being yeah. a good player and being considerate and kind of setting your party up for success. But being a GM, you can make everybody badass. Yeah. And so like that's that's what I love the most. That that really, it reminds me of, you know, kind of in researching and prepping and stuff. I saw you mention a lot about how your goal as a GM often is to make sure everyone leaves the table with at least one, you know, cinematic badass yes. moment. Every GM slips up and does it every now and then, but there's nothing worse than sitting at a table and just being a a audience member, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, like, sure. you know, so like, I think it's a healthy for GMs to have the mindset of everybody gets something to leave here talking about. Like everybody mm-hmm. has that moment. Is that something that you try to prep for? ahead of time where you go in as part of your kind of like session things like oh i'm going to make sure i have this moment or i'm going to make sure that you know you you fold it in or is that and, and or i should say is that something that you kind of at the table like look for realize oh i haven't heard from this person um and and like how does that relationship or how does that practice work for you so i never go in to a session with like this is the scene where they're going to shine yeah unless it's like a campaign and like yeah yeah, then if it's long form then like it's it's a little easier because it's just like all right this is where it's leading to like totally the difference is in a one shot i've only got you for like Mm -hmm. let's say at most four hours so i've got to find the hole that is your size that you fit in i you know i watch my players I listen to what they say, and generally, most of the time, your players will tell you how they want to be badass by virtue of who they made. So, you know, it's very important to look into the character sheet and not just, like, see the numbers, but see the intent. Mm. You you chose to put your highest number in dexterity. That gives me an idea of what you want your character to do. And then I look at the... Skills that you grab proficiency in. I look at the, you know, the tools that you selected. And it's just like, okay, the trick of it is, can you make something on your player's character sheet valuable that they didn't see the value in? Yeah. A lot of times people just kind of make their characters on D&D Beyond and that's the end of it. There are things on the character sheet like uh, forgery of a Duke's ring, right? Like that's one of the things that you can get. That is a story beat. <laughs> and I had a I had a game where I was just like, how did your character come into possession of this? And they were like, I did not even know that I had it. And I was like, <laughs> that's not the question that I asked. Your yeah. character has it on them. How? You're asking your players questions like that. They give you so much gold, even though they're not really thinking it's gold. Like, okay, well, I just, you know, I picked it up from a shop. Okay, well, now that shop is something else in the world that's important because now how did they get it? You know, somebody is going to have seen that transaction. They know you have the ring now and now they're after you about it. This is a storyline that is pointed at your character, whether you meant for it to be (laughs) or not. And we're going to make you awesome because of it. Like, I love catching my players off guard, making them awesome when they didn't expect it. And two, allowing them to create in my world. Like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing more frustrating to me than when a GM is just like, my narrative is more important than the fun at the table. Like, Mm -hmm. my fun at the table is the narrative that we all come up with. So, 
<laughs> All that to say, like, the way that I try to make my players' characters awesome is just by paying attention to them, sometimes even more than they're paying attention to themselves. That totally makes sense. So as part of the kind of diverse number of things that you do, have done, <laughs> etc., and have been doing it for, for several years now at a, at a really intense clip, obviously, do you have a good sense, either as a storyteller, as a story consumer, as whatever... What kinds of stories that you are particularly drawn to, you know, whether it's particular arcs or kind of just <laughs> vibes or themes or anything like that? I love time shenanigans. <laughs> My go-to uh -huh. trope is the whole Groundhog Day effect. Oh, I love that. I've run pretty much a Groundhog Day type campaign twice now. Once in a, a mass game that I did. And in the Star Trek game I just did, uh, there's a temporal anomaly that basically reset. And I like, I, I love that trope because it's a great way to introduce players to the world. Like, it's very oh, much a, sure. hey, you feel free to make a mistake. We're going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that level of comfort. So the first experience can be them inhabiting the character however they want to. Feeling comfortable making a bad decision. Two, it shows them that, like, hey, just so you know, I'm a GM that pays attention. So, like, when we do the loop, if you change something, I'm going to note that change and there will be repercussions because of it. That informs the player, like, there are consequences to actions. It's a safety net for me and the players. And it's a pretty cool thing that I that not a lot of folks do. Yeah, totally. And so it's just like, it's, it's just a fun little safety blanket that I have for myself. <laughs> Part mm -hmm. of doing improv is paying attention to the other players. Like, that's all Harold improv is about. I was, that's yeah. what I was trained to do. If we if we had an hour long session, I remember enough about the hour long <laughs> session so that when we reset it, I could put you in the same circumstances from the beginning and make changes based on what you've done. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about your actual play and tabletop stuff. Uh, but one of my favorite things that you do uh, that I, I try to tune into whenever I am able and around my computer is uh, is Morning Ritual over yes. on the Critical Misses channel. Um, and I especially want to talk about this because I really haven't had too many, at least not yet, too many people who do talk shows, interview shows on my own interview show. Um, <laughs> and I just, I think it's a very neat and kind of telling thing to talk about why you're doing it. So um, first, I guess, please explain to the listener <laughs> what Morning <laughs> Ritual is, uh, but also why why you started it, kind of what the vision was behind it. So Morning Ritual is our talk show that we do every Saturday morning over on Critical Misses, where we grab uh, folks from all over the TTRPG community. One of the guidelines that I had for the show when we started was follower count doesn't matter. So like, if you're doing stuff in the TTRPG space, if you have 10 followers or mm -hmm. 100,000, you know, we want you on. And we figured we wanted to do it that way because if folks tune in for the Matthew Mercer episode, which they will, then maybe <laughs> yeah. they'll be interested in some of the episodes with people that they don't know. 
and then they can learn learn about some folk. Yeah. And it's just a conversation. We just now started getting some set questions that we ask everybody. And it's more for the laughs than anything. Um, <laughs> like our most recognized question is the crunch wars. <laughs> people who put dice in their mouth to crunch them versus people like me who think that's absolutely disgusting. You don't do that. <laughs> so we started dividing the tabletop community. <laughs> We've been blessed to get you know, some really, truly amazing guests. Yeah. Uh, we've had everybody on from HTTP Paladin. We've had mm-hmm. Latia on a few times, Brendan Lee Mulligan, Matt Mercer, just everybody from all over the space. Yep. It's been a really good time. It, we've had some really interesting conversations. As for the creation of Morning Ritual, it was all Anita's idea. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Anita, who is now my partner, at the time, we were on an actual play that ended badly like the gm <laughs> insulted me and i was just like well i guess i'm out then <laughs> and, yeah, was, uh, sorry yeah yeah like you know i i one of the things that i, I want everybody to kind of take from this is just like make sure that you have your line in the sand where if anybody crosses it like it doesn't matter how attached to the project you are you owe yourself more than that yeah. one of my lines is like I, I'm I'm a goofy dude. I, I can laugh at most stuff, but you're not gonna call me out my name. So, like, once that line was crossed, I left. And this was very early on in my content creation career, so I was just like, "Oh no, I left this show." Yeah, yeah, I'm ruined. Like, no, nobody will want me on. Potentially disastrous, at least in my anxiety brain. Yeah. It's like, oh, and then now no one will ever want to work with me or or look at me or listen to me ever again. I was very new to Twitter, so at, around this time. I've got like maybe 300 of the followers and the GM, the person r- running this thing was like, they had like a thousand, five, like 1,500. So I'm like, it's got a thousand followers. Like he's going to like, I'm never going to, nobody's going to want to play with me yeah. anymore. He's going to tell everybody I yeah. suck. But I left anyway. After that, the show kind of fell apart and Anita was in the show as well. So we were both like, well, I guess we're just screwed now. I guess we're not going to have anything to make in this space. And he was like, well, I'm going to make my own channel. And I was like, good luck. She goes, I'd like to do a morning show. And I'm like, well, that sounds fun. She goes, you want to be a guest? I'm like, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and so I was a guest for, for the first episode. People liked it. We did another episode. People liked it. And Anita goes, okay, you're a co-host now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. Seems reasonable. Seems like a thing. After that, it was also like, you're a co-host now. Can you get some guests? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I started reaching out to folks. I reached out to Latia because, again, high school friends. And I'm like, can you do me a huge favor? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. We've done it live at Gen Con twice now. Mm -hmm. It's kind of got a life of its own. And it's always weird to, to make something and know people watch it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh, for sure. I was just like, because we're just doing things, but it's it's kind of grown, and uh, I I reached out to a number of folks, not expecting anybody to say yes. Like I just slid in, (laughs) slid in Matt Mercer's DMs, and I slid into uh, Brennan's DMs, and I was just like, you know, I'm. Why not shoot at the sun? (laughs) And I was surprised when they were like, sure, yeah. 
Uh, and I've learned a lot from talking to a lot of different creators. The set questions that we have um, are the crotch thing. And also <laughs> we have a that guy segment so yep. we can talk about everybody's experience with playing with a that guy, which I, I don't even think I need to elaborate. <laughs> and <laughs> Think back to the original discussion on some of your first games. Yeah. And maybe extrapolate from there. It, but that's exactly why I asked that question, mm-hmm. because, I, you know, I was just like, you know, my introduce my introduction to this hobby. I mean, I almost quit. It's it's truly because I'm a a powerfully petty person that I didn't. <laughs> and so, like, I want to see if anybody else had that experience. So yeah. that, like, if you are new to the space and you do have that, you don't feel alone. And maybe that inspires one person to go. You know what? Dale sucks. I'm going to keep going. Like, you know, whatever, whoever your Dale is, like, (laughs) you know, screw that guy. Just keep going. Absolutely. That is the spirit of Morning Ritual. We just want to inspire more people to get into this space and to ignore, uh, and to ignore the that guys of the world. Like you said, you've had a huge number of of people on. Are there any particular experiences or guests or kind of lessons that you've learned having kind of just grilled so many people and especially in kind of the nice, chatty, conversational way that that you guys do the show? Yeah, I've, I've learned a few things. One, you ask better questions when you don't observe the clout and the prestige yeah. of a person. When you're just kind of talking to them as a person. Yeah. I learned that when we interviewed Matt because, like, Matt pr- probably gets the same thousand questions yes. all the time. And, like, I can only imagine how annoying that was. So when we did prep for that episode, I was just like, I'm just going to talk to them. I'm just going to ask questions that I'm genuinely curious about. And yeah. the question that I, I, I'm, I was most interested to ask Matt was like, you no longer have the benefit of starting at zero. Like most of the people that you talk to know who you are and to some degree want something from you. Like there's yeah. not, there's not ever going to be a person that you talk to that, uh, to some degree, does not want to be on Critical Role. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you handle that? Right. Like, because that yes. sucks. That's a that's a prison that yeah. he didn't choose to be in. Yeah. Like, you're a celebrity. You're a celebrity in right. like a micro niche enthusiastic celebrity as well. Yeah, right. You know, I, I go to a bar and I talk to somebody. I'm just some schmo talking to a person. He goes to a bar. He never knows. Are they a critter? Yeah. Do they want something from me? Are they being nice to me because they're yes. a nice person or because of what my name is? So, like, how do you navigate that? Because that sounds like a freaking nightmare. And like I think that I think that one caught him off guard, and he you know he he gave us a compliment afterwards about that question in particular that inspired me to like keep making sure that I don't acknowledge all the crap around yeah. some of the people that we talk to now being on the other end and being interviewed like <laughs> it's very flattering that anybody wants to even set aside the time to even hear my perspective i'm very appreciative and grateful for that we're all just people like no matter how many freaking followers no matter how many accomplishments you've had yep you know at the end of the day we're all just people and you don't have too terribly much to gain from talking to me right like you know i'm not like i'm not like you're i'm not like a brennan lee mulligan or a matt mercer so i'm just flattered to be here the the fact that we talk to some people that like we have everything to gain and they have nothing to gain from it it's just like you honor that by treating them like a person i i just i hate 
clout chasing. I hate clout chases and I hate people that only see people by their follower account. And so part of what Morning Ritual is and part of one of the things that I've learned is to see the person and to mm-hmm. ignore everything else. <laughs> Absolutely. And and uh, that that I was curious for for you guys. And and obviously also the the format is very loose. It is again very chatty. It's just like <laughs> what do we want to what do we want to talk about? What tangents do we want to go on, which is awesome and great. But like you said, there is a degree of preparation. There are questions. You have to get into kind of the mindset to ask a question like that, right? Of like, what is it like to be an actual celebrity because of all of this, right? So what goes into preparing for you guys? And again, knowing obviously that that you and Anita are both working on it and Mm -hmm. is, uh, again, and Anita is a wonderful, beloved part and equal part of that as the starter of it. It wouldn't exist without it. (laughs) Right, exactly. What, What goes into for you guys and whether it is, you know, kind of a full, like, coming up with questions beforehand or just like what's the mindset you and energy you try to bring in when you have those conversations big or small the mindset is really just like making sure that we're in the headspace to just yeah. treat this like a conversation <laughs> at Diddy's. Like, yeah. you know, like it's, <laughs> it's just like trying to forget for the most part that the camera is on yeah making sure our guests are comfortable. We use safety tools for our show. Like we use the Exodo system. If we're talking about something or we're starting to get into a conversation you don't love, hit us with the end. We'll immediately change, uh, change topics. If we've crossed the line, hit us with the X, you know, at that point we could take a break or we could end the show. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Making sure that everybody is comfortable is the most important part. And I kind of find like a lot of the skills that you employ as a GM, you also employ as a interviewer in the sense that you kind of have to get us a read on how the other person is feeling, if they're comfortable Mm -hmm. and if they're not comfortable finding a way to make them comfortable because you get much better answers, much better conversations if they are comfortable. Mm -hmm. We have had some interviews where we could not get the person to be comfortable. They were like in their PR mode. Yeah, and when you're yeah. in PR mode, you don't really answer questions in the most fun <laughs> way because it's hard to have a PR answer when you're you're asking, "Do you crunch dice?" Yes or no, <laughs> right? Like it's <laughs> it's you know when we're when we're asking really silly questions. Like you know, one of the questions we ask is like, "If you could replace one franchise's popularity with yes. like." something else you know would you and like you know abria's abria's answer was like you know i'm getting rid of star wars immediately the one that jumped into my brain <laughs> like immediately 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 you just started the conversation was like oh yeah like star, star <laughs> like, wars like the star wars answer yeah 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 <laughs> she's like yeah i'm getting rid of star wars <laughs> and, but you know you get you get that kind of stuff when the person's feeling fun and when they're yeah. just having a conversation but if they're in the i'm here to represent this thing that yeah. i'm doing then that's a shield that totally. blocks good conversations and we we've had some of those interviews and they're sure. a little they're they're a little frustrating cuz it's just like ah oh, man i i really feel like we could have we could have dug a little deeper that's something out of our control we could do what we can to make you yeah. comfortable we can do what we can to tell you like like there's really no 
obligation. Morning Ritual does not have a set length. You know, we've had episodes as short as 45 minutes and as long as four hours. <laughs> Sometimes you start talking about how the X Mansion doesn't have any stairs and you really have to take, you really have to dig into that. <laughs> like, we've all been there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, because of this show, I've ended up making some really amazing fa- uh, friends. Like, uh, Sam DeLev is the one that we talked to about the expansion. <laughs> and that was such a fun conversation. You know, we kept talking after that. We ended up playing games together, and now I'm on stream yeah. punks with them. And, like, I wouldn't trade that friendship for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, interviewing Eric over from the stream punks, like, that, we, we ended up becoming friends. And it's just like... When you treat folks like folks and when you have a general interest in the things that they do, like that, that carries. And sometimes it carries beyond the the time limit of the show. And so coming into an interview, honest, making sure people are comfortable and just being receptive and enthusiastic about their story and their answers, like that translates. And sometimes that sticks with people because how many times do we talk to folks and they're listening, waiting for their turn and not actually taking in the fact that, you know, man, some of those answers are really fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or at least just very human, you know, but it's like, I am, I am telling you my lived experience and please give the person the courtesy of at least listening a little bit. Right. Yeah. Easy. (laughs) So as we're starting to wind down a bit Mm -hmm. to piggyback off of kind of some of your vision with morning ritual, but also to talk a little bit about something that I have heard and read you say a lot. Um, was the kind of twin concepts of ensuring that everybody eats and uh, leaving the door open behind you. I've heard you say that on streams. Again, I've seen you tweet it. I've seen it on, I think, even like bios of like you as a performer (laughs) and everything. And and so I I know it is something that you you hold very closely. Um, Mm -hmm. It's obviously reflected at least a little bit in Morning Ritual and being like, yep, we get big and small names and all that kind of stuff. But for you, what do those mean? But also more importantly, why is that something that you... You try very clearly to keep cognizant of and keep kind of core to you, to your presence, to the work you're doing, all that stuff. So the reason that is so important is because I have experienced folks going, folks who have told me like, yeah, you would be great for this show. You just don't have the audience that we're looking for. Mm. Uh, You know, you know, we're looking at your numbers and, you know, so we went with somebody else. And that that sucks. Like, it it, it, it (laughs) really does suck. And like, especially with POCs and queer POCs, like we're just now starting to get our representation here. And it, it, it could still be better. And, you know, it was very important to me. Like, if I gain an inch for me, that's one thing. But if I gain an inch for us, then that matters. Mm-hmm. There are so many talented people doing what we're doing and doing it at a level that's better than, like, some of the more renowned folks out there. They just aren't getting the attention. They aren't getting that chance. Mm-hmm. I'm here talking to you because folks gave me a chance yeah or like i knocked on the door until people got tired of hearing the knocking (laughs) and they're just like fine (laughs) and like i don't want to do all that work for the door to just close again yeah on the person that's better than me like yeah if you know i open the door 
uh, surprise, it's not just me. It's like a, oh, it's a cloud car full of amazing people. You're gonna give us a chance, goddamn right. it! And you will be, you will be thankful that I <laughs> right? did this for you. Exactly. <laughs> I have met and worked with folks that are just like, I'm gonna get mine, and yeah. that's the end of the story. And that's bad enough. But I've also worked with folks that are just like, I'm gonna get mine and make sure I keep getting mine, even if that means that I'm taking food out of somebody else's mouth. Yeah. I can't respect that. And having experienced it and seen it myself, again, the petty drive comes back in. Like, <laughs> if you think you go stop us from getting our shine, I will see you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 to this day, like, my Kingsguard crew are some of the best role players yeah. that I've ever worked with. Uh, Darby Pack, Anita, Harpersona, uh, it, it's the Riddler, uh, AJ Hoosier And these are all folks that like are still somehow under like a thousand followers and, and stuff. And some of them are starting to get the shine that they deserve, but I feel like, you know, they deserve much more than that because of just how much of themselves they give into their characters. Yeah. It's kind of like loving a sport, a sport and seeing like amazing people play at the park that are just incredible yeah. dropping bombs and totally. stuff. And you're a Chicago bears fan. It's just <laughs> like, why aren't we grabbing them? Yeah. They're like, out there. Do you not under, do you not understand how good this is? Like, <laughs> Clearly not, because they should be starting for the we, Bears. Yeah, we should be like we should we could be winning if y'all would just pay attention to someone other than like critical role and dimension twenty. Like you know, and like no shade to critical role no. or dimension twenty. It's just like there's so much more than just that. Yeah. I'm annoying by nature. Like I I came <laughs> I came into this world annoying. I'm gonna leave this world annoying. It, and I'll see you in hell. You know, and when I see you in hell, I'll be <laughs> annoying for eternity. So if I've got this power, I might as well use it for good and try to annoy people into paying attention to people that deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been doing, again, content creation and especially tabletop content creation for a mm -hmm. few years now. Like you said, you're at a good kind of middle ground right now. Things are, are stabilized, which again, fucking all the cheers, <laughs> genuine cheers for. Where are you hoping to to go from here you know like what's do you have ideas on the horizon or are you right now just kind of like i'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing and see where that gets me i'm getting back into creating mm -hmm. i'm dipping my toe in with uh, uh i'm doing the stream plugs exclusive game which is the last tuesday of every month uh, i'm doing a couple of one shots to just kind of Mm -hmm. get, you know, to lube the gears and get back into it. Ultimately, though, like, I love hosting. Like, I love doing interviews. I'm discovering I'm loving being interviewed. Like, just <laughs> everything about this is something that, like, just makes my brain go burr. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, <laughs> uh -huh. I, I, you know, I, I'm seeing tabletop getting bigger. There's tabletop news that's coming out. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing, like, there's a hunger for information, not just watching people playing, you know, actual plays, but people wanting to know the business side of the uh, tabletop, it, wanting to know the news about tabletop. And, uh, you know, I host Table Takes, which is a, a yes. new show from Gen Con. Uh, and I also have the podcast Deutsches and Dragon with my sister, mm -hmm. uh, where we get <laughs> we 
couldn't even get into all of the things that you're doing as you're saying like oh, I'm dipping my toe back into content creation as as you just casually list off three other shows that we didn't even have the time to talk about but carry on please no worries like and that's a that's another that's another TTRPG news show that we're doing but the the, the pitch is like this is your bi-weekly source of news with a healthy dose of accountability because Another one of the things that I hate in this space is that there are a lot of us that know problem players in this space, but nobody says anything. Yeah, and I've hit a level of fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've hit a healthy level of fuck it. And my sister uh, Joy is just getting into the space, and so they don't care at all. Care even less. Yeah, you know, we're reporting (laughs) on things like. I, we reported on the wire on the wormwood stuff before it blew up because everybody knew <laughs> like that's the thing like everybody knows the problems the problems that we have on, in our space it's just a matter of one doing the due diligence of making sure that those problems are actually problems and two being willing to say like no this is happening and this is a problem this is the name of the problem and this is what we should do there have been a lot of people hurt that just kind of internalized that hurt and try and justify it as it was something that I did and I can't stand it. Like Mm -hmm. if you've been hurt, you didn't deserve that. And Mm -hmm. I don't care how cloudy, I don't care how powerful the person that hurt you was. You didn't deserve that. The fact that they can go on doing this to other people is absolutely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So we talk about that stuff. We have an open conversation about it. And hopefully more people feel empowered that when they encounter these things, they don't just go, well, I'm just going to eat it. Hopefully they can listen to our show and go, you know, there are people that understand that this wasn't right Mm -hmm. and talk and say Mm -hmm. something. So that's what that show is. And the reception to it has been really quite something. We've gotten some feedback from folks that were just like, hey, I was in that situation. And hearing you guys talk about it made Mm -hmm. me realize that it wasn't on me. Like, I wasn't the bad guy. And that's something that's special. So, like, if I can use my platform for anything, I just want to empower folks to one, try the hobby, and two, to protect the hobby. Mm. And protecting the hobby is we have to get rid of this whisper network thing that we have, and we have to call out our problem. Mm-hmm. You know, because if one person is treating you lesser because of who you are, what you are, what you believe, trust me when I tell you they're probably doing it to other people. Where do you get that instinct or like that drive or that, and and just like kind of the the principled approach to it you know of of, again you've long been someone who you know kind of draws lines in sand in a good way in a healthy boundaries are important way and hey this is not acceptable that person might have more followers than me or might be whatever and it's sensitive or whatever but like where does your drive to kind of take that on yourself especially when (laughs) it is you it is your face right on on your profile picture it is like it is your humanity that is on display and that is being kind of like that is the messenger for these kind of like sometimes very intimidating messages that that need to be delivered i don't like bullies (laughs) and i i was bullied a lot and like i said i've worked with folks where i've seen this kind of stuff go down 
I ate it as well because it's just like, well, they're them. Yeah. And so maybe I maybe I transgress because I think it's easier for me to empathize because I've been in the situation sure. because it, you get to a point of asking yourself, how can they be them yeah. and do this? Clearly, I'm the problem because yes. they've got 50,000 people following them. So that's them vouching for them. Yeah. Then you start to talk with people and it's just like, oh, no, they did that to me, too. Uh, oh, no, they did that to me, too. And it's just like, that's three of us <laughs> right, yeah. right, right right, there. So it's just like, OK, so we're all not saying anything because mm-hmm. we're all thinking the same thing. How many more of us are out there? Yeah. I think that loneliness inspires fear and community inspires courage. Mm-hmm. The problem is that we are a community of people that have been wronged, but we don't know that we're in the community because we're all so afraid because we feel alone. Whenever you get a chance to be like the beacon of Gondor, <laughs> you fucking take that ch- you, you take that opportunity. You know, the worst somebody could do is say, well, I'm not going to invite you to, to this or I'm going to tell everybody that you suck. And that's where it's just like, OK, I'm going to do the work to show people who I am. And if we get to the point where we know that there's a problem in the space and we call it out, they want to do the work to say that I'm this, let them. I have to believe that we have the responsibility to change what little that we can. Mm -hmm. And I can't stress how much I owe to this space. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I was living in a cracked and tabletop got me out of it. Yeah. As corny as that sounds, like I owe the comfort that I have to this space. The least I could do is do the work to try and clean it up. And if somebody Mm -hmm. tries to take my comfort from me, then I have to let my actions and my reputation be my defense. Mm-hmm. I have had people who have said, no R is a transphobe, no R is this, no R is that. There was a situation where there was a meme. It was just like, why be yourself when you can be like a wizard? It was somebody in cosplay as a wizard. And I was like, oh, I like this meme. I have pictures of myself in cosplay. I'm going to do it. So I did the meme and somebody was just like, look at you trying to appropriate trans culture. I didn't realize that the meme started in the trans community. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm very sorry. I wasn't aware you know, let me take it down. And they just continued to try and bombard me with that attack. And that was a very stressful time because the person was somebody that I, you know, I, I had in my game, somebody that I had on, you know, our show, somebody that I thought I was friends with. So like when the internet tries to attack you like that, sometimes that can have you questioning your own sanity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went to my friends, and, you know, and, and that's why it pays to have friends from every aspect of life. Yep. And so I was able to ask my transfers, like, here's the situation. Here's what I did. How do I make right? I could do the twit longer apology of just like, I'm sorry. Here's a coupon code for my merch. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that. So, you know, you, you do the, you do the work of like making sure that you check yourself. It'd be hypocritical to have a show where we're, you're holding other people sure. accountable. We don't hold ourselves accountable. And, you know, I talked to them and we kind of got to the thought process of like, you didn't do anything wrong. You took you took part in a meme. A lot of cis people were taking part of that meme. It was just that this person kind of had a, a vendetta against me. And that's that's fine. But, you know, that experience taught me like taking shortcuts might get you somewhere in the end. But if you try to do things the right way, then that gives you a level of security that you can't buy. 
there's no level of clout that's worth your your reputation and your dignity. Mm-hmm. So now that I faced like being the Twitter main character of the day for a little bit for doing nothing wrong, I was just like, well, fuck it. If I want to be a main <laughs> character, I'm going to do something right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. so we do that. And sometimes it's spooky. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I yeah. have to tell Joy to chill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of people feeling alone when they've been wrong because that mm-hmm. feels like they got done dirty twice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last question that I had Something that you that you mentioned was, and and maybe this is uh, you know one perennially online person asking a question of another perennial on, <laughs> perennially bleh, two online person. Yeah, you get it. That I got one, you. Is the importance of kind of knowing knowing yourself and trusting yourself, right, and your right. values and that kind of stuff. Obviously, with accountability, with checking in with others to make sure that you you know are doing right and evolving and growing. Do you have do you have a good sense right now of who you are? of what the distillation of noir is? I think that I have the opposite, which is, mm-hmm. and, and I find it to, to be very useful, which is that I am wholly ready to admit that I'm wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I find that that's the most useful thing that you can have in the content creation game because a lot of the most toxic people that I know refuse to accept that they're wrong or refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong. I truly believe it's not the mistake that is the problem most of the time. The problem is how you react Mm -hmm. after you make the mistake. You're going to bump into somebody at least once in your life. You're going to make a mistake once in your life. And sometimes you're going to be the bad guy without meaning to be the bad guy. That's fine. What happens afterwards is what defines you as a person. Mm -hmm. If I make a mistake and somebody's like, hey, what you just said, that was pretty fucked up. The difference between being somebody that people want to work with again versus the person that they never want to speak to again is whether you go, I didn't mess up. You messed up. How dare you think that I messed up? I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I'm a struggling black man in America. How dare you say <laughs> that you're racist? Like, no, like sometimes you have to go, okay, let me let me take a look. Let me take a look at what I did. Let me talk to people that I trust about what I did. Let me talk to people that I know will pull my collar if I was wrong. And that's why it's very important to make sure that you don't surround yourself with people that are just like, oh, my God, you're you. You you do everything right. You walk on water. You need somebody that'll go, oh, you really beef that one. Like, yeah, fix, right. it, fix it now. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have that. If mm-hmm. you don't believe me, just listen to Dungeons and Dragons. My sister, <laughs> my sister <laughs> will eat me alive if I make a mistake. And so you know yourself best when you're ready to accept that you're fallible. Yeah. There are some people out there that once they hit a certain number of followers, they hit the you can't tell me nothing attitude. And that is toxic. That is poison. I have seen people cross lines and when they're checked on it, the response is like, how dare you? Check me on crossing a line publicly. You should have talked to me behind the scenes to tell me that I crossed the line. No, you crossed the line, and the way the person protects their boundaries is completely their right, and you have to accept that. And sometimes when you cross the line and people protect their boundaries, 
they do so aggressively. You don't know what that person has been through. You don't know what it took for them to muster up the courage to protect that boundary. That is something that I respect more than anything in a person. I cannot respect somebody that is unable to say I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry and then making the moves to fix what you did, Mm -hmm. that is the sign of emotional maturity. That is when you know yourself best, not when you're so secure in the fact Mm -hmm. that, like, I'm Noir, and here's what Noir would do. No, I'm myself because I'm like, I'm Noir, I'm doing my best, and sometimes that falls short. Absolutely. Well, I lied. How could you? That (laughs) is not the last question. Ooh. There are several questions Under the guise, under the umbrella, the spiked, aggressive, scary, impending umbrella that is the Reckless to Talk lightning round. Yes! Wherein I ask you a series of questions, the same questions that I pose to every single guest who's ever been on this show in the exact same order. There is no right or wrong answer. It can be a one-word answer. It could be a five-minute long answer. Uh, It can be, uh, I don't really know. Skip it. (laughs) All valid. All have been used. All very good. I will try my best to shut the fuck up as you are talking and (laughs) just try to read the room when you're done before moving on to the next one. Noir, are you ready? Let's do it. Question one. Is your glass half full or half empty? I think that blind optimism is just as deadly as being uh, a negative Nancy. Sometimes you have to understand that the glass is half empty because it needs to be filled. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. if if the house is on fire and I'm just like, oh, that that's a half full bucket. I'm not going to have <laughs> enough water to, to extinguish the fire. So it really does depend on the context. What excites you? creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally. When I have an idea that I know will make at least one person laugh, like guffaw, <laughs> when there's a joke <laughs> set up and nobody's taking it, I like that. <laughs> that gets me going. I'm like, oh, I'm about to knock them out with this one. <laughs> You see the pitch slowly drifting across the plate. You see the basketball floating in midair, ready to be dunked, etc. <laughs> yep, it's just like, oh, this is about to be a banger. <laughs> What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? When I'm creating for the cash, when there's nothing motivating me but the check, I feel a little skeevy. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't happen too often, but it's it's happened maybe once or twice uh, in my content creation career where it's just like, I don't love what I'm doing, but the lights need to be on. So here we go. <laughs> What is your favorite sound? In the Star Trek remake movie, there is a ship called the USS Vengeance that mm-hmm. Section 31 built in secret. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where the Enterprise tries to escape the ship by going to warp, not realizing that that ship has a faster warp than the Enterprise. And the warp sound that the USS Vengeance makes is so soothing <laughs> that I put it on YouTube on repeat and it just goes and it's like, <laughs> oh, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> I'll have to put a YouTube of that sound (laughs) in the show notes. It's so cool. Like, I'm telling you, (laughs) like, just turn your bass up and just let it play. Oh, make Bray go burn. (laughs) What sound do you hate? You remember those winter jumpsuits where when you stepped Mm -hmm. in, it it makes me grind my teeth. Also, Mm -hmm. the sound of people chewing. Yep. Uh, Two popular and personally relatable answers. (laughs) What's your favorite word? Uh... (laughs) 
Okay, there's a slight story behind this, but it's arugula. Um, so, <laughs> so back in my MMO days, whenever I got hit, I would yell arugula, <laughs> and our healer would know to go help me. Wonderful. So now I do it all the time. Like if I'm driving <laughs> and I hit a bump, I just go arugula. <laughs> <laughs> And then people are like, what the hell? And I'm like, it's a whole thing. What is your least favorite word? Police. <laughs> Boy, the, the, the deadpan immediacy is what really, really sold it, I think. I hate that it's true, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to ask no more clarifying questions. I was going to be like, yep, that's the answer. What tabletop role-playing game and or D&D monster or antagonist mm-hmm. have you not faced or run that you would love to? A succubus. And here's why. A succubus can be problematic in the hands of... Sure. That guy. Of that guy or just a GM that doesn't do the work to make sure that the table is safe. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that is a creature that could elicit just amazing story beats Mm -hmm. and i haven't encountered one if one did pop up i would be a little weary and Mm -hmm. i'm just waiting to be impressed yes got it what is your favorite adventure of all time and this can be tabletop adventure it can be one you read one you wrote one that you played in one you watched or just like my favorite adventure is 1999's the mummy all valid all right i've got two answers one is the Lost Minds of Fendel, Fendalen, Fendelver, whatever. That was the first game that I played uh, from D&D Beyond that got me in. That's the one that they did the podcast on. Mm-hmm. Never got to finish it, oh. but man, was it fun. My second one is the game that I'm running for the Discord exclusive for Streampunk. I have them set in the Kelvin universe, which is the oh, movie yeah. mm-hmm. remakes, and they're experiencing the temporal anomaly of the Borg from the Prime universe has found their way into the Kelvin universe and they're wholly unprepared for it. <laughs> I am I am really pissed. This is the one time I'm gonna break my rule for not talking much during mm-hmm. lightning round is I'm super pissed that as much as we have talked, we haven't gotten to talk almost at all about Star Trek. And I'm very personally upset about that. But please carry on. Because <laughs> that sounds sick as hell is the point. It's like the Borg being dropped in the original series. Like they are completely outgunned, outmatched. I'm very excited about it because it's the stakes are very high in the sense that if you can't get the Borg to somehow return back to the Prime <laughs> universe, then you guys are going to have to deal with them. And they've assimilated technology from the prime universe which is 130 years in the future so yeah (laughs) (laughs) what is your favorite tabletop role-playing game character of all time similarly it can be one of yours it can be one you played with one you dm'd for one you've watched one an npc that you enjoyed all valid Uh, all right, so I, I love all my players' characters, but there's one that holds a special spot in my heart. <laughs> Played by Kelsey, uh, MX Magpie on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We were playing Urban Shadows 2, and they made a little goat demon that's like a pawn shop owner named <laughs> Jimmy Skeets. <laughs> but, but the pawn shop was a cover. What they actually did was they were a cleanup service for... The others, others being like yeah. fey, werewolves, vampires, all that stuff. Where if they did a murder, you call Jimmy Skeets. Jimmy Skeets clean up the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was just so good. It was just this dirt bag that's like a mix of 
uh, 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 Anthony Dice and uh, Danny DeVito, and it's just—it's <laughs> just perfect. I will continue to offer no further questions or comments during the lightning round portion. Final question, Noir. Yes. What gives you hope? I think that we're all tired. <laughs> hey, it's like when you got the worst of a fever. Like it sucks in the moment, but you kind of need that fever to like deal with the sickness. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about the tabletop space. I feel that way about the world. There's just so much obvious injustice mm-hmm. happening. Fucking Nazis are coming back. Like I think like <laughs> I think it's so bad that like we can't just keep living with it. I think the pain has gotten to a point where we're all going to wake up and just go and deal with it. One of the things that's been amazing, one of the only good things about <laughs> the pandemic is like we have learned what's valuable, what we need to survive. Like mm-hmm. we're working at home and now companies are like, come on back. And we're like, eat a dick. Oh, uh, <laughs> like, you know, thank you. No, thank you. I was able to get the work done here. I think I'm going to stay here. And, you know, and then you take a look at the Watsi thing where Watsi's all like, hey, how about we run your pockets? And the entire community was like, how about we go somewhere else? You're like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, we're seeing a lot of bad in the news, but we're also seeing people learning to stand up. We're seeing Starbucks workers like going, no, how about we unionize? Like it goes back to that half glass, half empty thing. Mm-hmm. We can't just keep putting our heads down and living day to day. We have to start paying attention. And things are getting so bad that even the most insular people are starting to kind of look up and go, oh, it is bad. <laughs> <laughs> My hope is that more people wake up and we just keep cleaning our spaces. Noir, congratulations. You have made it to the end of not just the lightning round gauntlet, but of Reckless Attack itself. Congratulations. I wrote the lightning. (laughs) We will send you your commemorative trophy. Uh, (laughs) At some point, uh, you know, we'll get the addresses all cleared up after (laughs) after the uh, the show. But as a reward, could you please remind everyone who you are, who you have been, where to find you, how best to support you? All the good stuff. Thank you again for having me. This has been a blast. My first time listening was when you had Katie on, and I was just like, I want to be there. So, oh, like, this has well, been awesome. <laughs> I'm Noir. You can find me all over the internet as the Noir Enigma. That's Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. I do have my own personal website with merch. Please buy it. I'm poor. Uh, it's the Noir Enigma.com. <laughs> You can find me every Monday over on Cryptic Studios channel where we do Star Trek Perseverance. Uh, I play a Vulcan named Valuth who is just so good. doing his best. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's that's trying. A good, that's a good way to put it, I think, from, from what I've seen of it. Yeah. You can find me on Thursdays over on Unmade Gaming for Shattered Crown. It's our Lord of the Rings game. I have committed to making the decision of wearing armor every episode <laughs> so check that out on fridays you can find me over on GenCon tv for table takes and table takes plays on saturday for morning ritual my bi-weekly podcast dungeons and dragon i'm sure i'm forgetting something but uh just check out my twitter that's where <laughs> i'll announce it or that's where my partner will announce it and i'll retweet <laughs> all valid all, all correct <laughs> We'll have links to all of those things in the show notes. Go, please check them out. Please go see all the things that Noir is in. Noir, 
Thank you very truly and deeply for all of your time and energy and for being just uh, yourself. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for having me. Uh, now I'm your problem with friends now. <laughs> oh, no. What a terrible outcome. That was not a secret wish whatsoever. And that uh, is where we'll end the episode. <laughs> bye. 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 <laughs>